Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Rolling Stone executive editor Nathan Brackett. Today we're going to hear Keith Richards talk about his first guitar hero, Scotty Moore. But first, we're going to do a midsummer tour check in. Instead of our usual what we're listening to segment, we're going to talk about what shows we've been going to and what our favorite ones have been. I have here Andy Green, Hi associate there. editor. Hey, Andy. Patrick Doyle. Hey. Annie Licata. Hi, guys. What's up, Annie? All right, guys, this is the heat of the summer. We've all been going to a lot of shows. There have been a lot of festivals, a lot of major tours. Let's hear what have been your favorites so far. Let's start with Andy. What was your favorite show? What, or what's been your favorite show so far? My favorite show was Radiohead at Madison Square Garden. It's oh, my God. That's yeah. one of my favorites, too. Yeah, it was <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, was that first... was last night. We all went. We did. Everybody except for Annie. Guys, yeah. I didn't go. Sorry, oh, I'm Annie. sorry. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Three of the four of us went. At least. Yeah, it was, a, it was just very, very good. I saw the last tour a lot. This was significantly better. I feel Tom was more into it. He seemed happier. That's Tom York for listeners Yeah, Tom at home. York. Yeah, <laughs> spelled T-H-O-M. But yeah, they played a lot of these old 90s songs they hadn't played in years. It was the first live letdown off of, off of Vocal Computer in 10 years. This was, uh, well, before we totally geek out on yeah, this, okay. this is their first U.S. tour, right, in, did you already say this? It, this is their first U.S. tour since? Since 2012. This is their first U.S. tour since 2012. <laughs> yes. There's the first time we've heard songs off their last album. A Moonshaped uh, Pool. Their new album, yeah. A Moonshaped Pool. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought those sound, songs sounded incredible. Those were, like, some of the highlights for me. Yeah, the first five songs was the first five songs off the album in sequence. It was the first half. And they worked really well live. And, you know, they're a bit slow at times, but they're beautiful. And the whole Reno was hushed for it. Then the energy just slowly built through the whole night. I don't know. It was really something. I've not seen them that good since 2001, even. It was a combination of a band that's like happy where they are now and their new album, but then also, we were talking about this earlier, kind of totally happy to revisit some of their biggest songs. They, yeah. they weren't ducking their like Paranoid Android. They right. Were totally they fierce version of that. through a period where they did very few songs pre-Kid A. When they do them, they sort of seem to be begrudgingly doing them. Right. Okay, here's a hit for yeah. you. You know, here's, here's like Carmen Police for the millionth time. But this time they played Planet Telex. You know, they played all this awesome shit. Set on the bends. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It was just incredible. I mean, Street Spirit at the very end was incredibly it moving. It was gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. And the I whole mean, arena was singing along. Yeah. And, and one thing that struck me on the way out is just people were just cheering spontaneously, just filing yeah. out of the arena, which is just, just yeah. for no apparent reason. Just hey, because. He looked next to me, and this girl was just smiling. Like, she looked at me and smiled. Like, it was just right. something you don't, this communal feeling that you right. get it, uh, you don't see at a lot of shows. Like, you know, you're usually getting bumped into. This is the and, special yeah. FOMO edition of Rolling yeah, exactly. Stone Music Now. Yeah. So yeah. we're. <laughs> But yeah, it was just a great show. Joy, it, it, yeah, absolutely. If people can get tickets for uh, this Radiohead tour, they need to. Uh, okay, so Patrick, what about you? Well, let's see. On, on when I went back home to Maine and I saw Fish, um, you know, I, that's where I grew up. So I, I Fish played at this uh, small arena called the. You Port only see Fish in Maine. Yeah, right? I, that... I, there's like a two week period where I I love Fish, but I immerse myself in like the week before that show and the week after, and it's kind of always in July, early July. And um, get the fish app on my phone. <laughs> Just the cycle <laughs> and, of life. Uh, and yeah, fish, and I still yeah. have it on my phone, and uh, it's an amazing. There's two apps. There's the fish live app and the the regular fish app. But I have. <laughs> then you can go to the reviews, and there's like 37 reviews for every show. People detailed, just you know. 
the, the wonderful thing, thing is that the members of Fish are probably just as excited about all these fish apps as yeah. you are. I mean, yeah. there's a certain like, yeah, every, everybody, uh, is, yeah, they, they they love to geek out about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so um, Fish played. At, um, it was the smallest show I believe of the whole tour. It was every other show was like you know Red Rocks or Dick's uh, Sporting Goods uh, Amphitheater, and this was at a Civic Center, which is this uh, eight thousand top crowd. Wow. And so um, they played. It was a, the hottest show I maybe ever been to but they just it wasn't a whole lot of jamming as much you know that was the one thing all these fans were complaining about but there was a very melodic show everything Trey was playing had real melody to it everybody was really playing well together and it was almost a feeling like that Radiohead show where everyone was so happy to be in there because it was such a tough ticket and outside the whole scene uh, people you know selling a heady topper beer which is very hard to get and this is the <laughs> from Vermont just this hip, hippie scene uh, that you see up there in uh, New England but then getting the chance I um, talked to Trey before the show and he, they uh, did a uh, sound check and I watched the sound check it was the most amazing things I've ever seen because they played for an hour a lot of blues a lot of just kind of letting themselves loose on, on this wow. like kind of like Hendrixy stuff like Prince stuff like it was just kind of you get to see what they were really into and trying out new songs from their next album and Trey talked about one thing that was interesting that he said is his favorite types of shows to play are the small arena shows because he got into playing live albums through Peter Frampton Frampton Comes Alive and The Who that's uh, interesting. So yeah. not theaters, not clubs, yeah. not big arenas, yeah. but small arenas. Yeah, he said Who Live at Leeds and uh, Frampton Comes Alive. That He said these 70s rock arenas are his favorite kind of <laughs> okay. shows to play. The 8 to, eight to 10,000 uh, capacity yeah. zone. All right, yeah. remember that. Small bands. I saw them. I saw them this summer too. Oh, I saw them, them in Connecticut. I drove like three hours to see them because I always try to get out to see fish at least once every summer. Uh-huh. Um, and they were fun. I had such a good time. I saw them in an arena that size. And the last time they had played there, they played the Beatles album, mm-hmm. uh, the White Album, all the way through. Mm-hmm. So I, I saw them at that size arena, and that was a great show too. So you maybe that's has to there playing at small arenas being yes. a good thing. All right. Yes, I can. All right, but anyway, so what was your favorite show this summer, though? I saw Beyonce at City Field, That's and that was phenomenal. That, that was, was pretty... amazing. You saw them. You yeah, saw I did, too. too. Yes. No, go, go ahead, though. Um, yeah. she, was, she was just, it was everything that I could have asked for out of a Beyonce show. And you're a serious fan. You can ask a lot yes. out of a Beyonce show. Yes, yes, I've been a lifelong Beyonce yeah. fan. I've been there since uh, Destiny's Child. And she played, you know, she like got down on her knees and sang one plus one, like she just sang her heart out and her dancing was just on point. And just the production, the whole thing, the huge monolith type thing. And she really just brought so much energy and-, and What is this thing, the monolith? She had this thing on the stage that was like the 2001 monolith. It was like huge, but- It was surrounded but by video screens, It was surrounded right? by yeah. video screens, yeah. And like she did a Prince cover and like the whole thing turned purple. And there was a lot of what you expected to hear from Lemonade, but she also went back and did a lot of really amazing old songs that some of her, you know, she said during the show, like, I know some of you guys have been with me since day one. So she played some of those older songs and I've never seen her before. So I was very moved. She is, uh, yeah, as I said, I was at one of those shows too. And she's just a, a stadium killer. It's just crazy. Just the combination of her voice and the dancing and the whole production is just, it's just really another level. Yeah, she just point. commanded yeah. the whole, that's a hard venue to yeah. have control over like that. And everybody was just blown away. For mm-hmm. sure. All right, well, let's move on to some negativity. What, was, what have been the biggest disappointments for you guys? Or, or you know, medium-level disappointments? Yeah. Or 
This is April. It's not quite the summer, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony to mm. me was some disappointments. Which well, that was a spicy ceremony. It was, it was spicy. All Steve Miller, yeah, I saying was, all that stuff. And, but he yeah. was actually, but he was okay as a performer. I was looking forward to seeing NWA play, but they decided not to even play. True. I was looking forward to seeing Chicago play with Pierce Terra. I, I am not a fan of Chicago, but 25 or 6 to 4 is a great song. I'm a fan of their one song, basically. Right. Or maybe Saturday in the Park. Oh, I hate that song. You don't like that song? I hate oh, that man. song. All right. But 25 or 6 to 4 is a jam. And Pierce Terra. Can I just throw in yeah. Chicago's one of those bands that you don't think you're going to look forward to? I mean, they're yeah. freaking Chicago, right. you know, unless you're of a certain demographic yeah. and they're huge on the radio. But then you actually think about all their songs. You're thinking, and, and, like, oh, wow, I like that song. I kind of I want to see that. I hate so. almost all of them, but 25 <laughs> to the 4 is amazing. Green Day stole, like, Brains Through Outfit, and Peter Cetera, who sings the song, was supposed to come and sing it with him. And he hadn't sang with them in, like, 22 years or something. But they got into a big fight over what key they would mm. sing it in, and he didn't show. So they played it in their new crappy way, and it right. was disappointing. Some intra-band squad. Right, and Deep Purple right. I was looking forward to seeing, because right. that could be Richie Blackmore for the first time in 20 years. And right. he didn't show up. Right. And they didn't even bring out Glenn Hughes to play with them. It was just a lot of missed opportunities to the Rock and Hall of Fame. And it was, a dis <laughs> it was just disappointing. Right. <laughs> okay, but Cheap Trick was all right. But Cheap Trick at the end. All right. Yeah, all right. Annie, at Let's the end, <laughs> Cheap Trick came out and saved the day. Uh, Patrick, what about you? Mine was a little more recent, a little more fresh. April. That was not long ago. It's it would have, what just, about further back, Andy? Are shows that are further back <laughs> there? Oh, yeah, go way more. back. Yeah, I saw Robert Palmer in 1994 and was disappointed. But yeah. <laughs> um, mine was just this past weekend at MetLife Stadium. It was uh, Guns N' Roses. And I actually went with Andy, yeah. and we had very different thoughts on the whole thing. And I just really did not like the show. I thought that I've never seen any... Thing, any band go through the motions more than wow. this show. Oh, there was no chemistry, you know, between Slash wow. and Axel. This is a major tour this summer. This is, <laughs> yeah. this is really yeah. disappointing. It, yeah, it was. I yeah. don't know what you expected. You expect them to go out there and hug and and I go back in time, to the '80s. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> Slash sounded great. It was Axel's voice has not sounded that great in a very long time. I like, well, killed yeah, it. What, what were your expectations yeah. going in? Patrick? I expected to see an exciting band. Which you um, saw, yeah. An exciting band who really bring those songs to life on and, stage. I, right. I, feel, I expected myself to really become sort of immersed in this, you know, this great energy. I, and that I they don't have. think those expectations are out of line. I mean, yeah. I didn't see Guns N' Roses, but they were for you know that performance without Axel yeah. in the uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a few years ago. Going going back to the Rock and Roll Hall of yeah. Fame was was incredible. I mean, yeah. totally. This was butt. much and better. And that's with the guy from Alter Bridge. So you would the think miles, with Axel yeah. Rose. Yeah, it, but I saw them at at um, the Hammerstein Ballroom a, a few years ago, and I. I just expected since the huge stink that they're making about this this particular right. lineup that going from clubs yeah. to stadiums yeah. that it would be radically different but you know axel basically is on stage half of the show the rest oh. of the time he's backstage half. getting oxygen and uh <laughs> and slash is uh you know just doing instrumental things slash is an amazing guitar player but once he goes into his fifth uh you know so you're uh, saying there was some he slash would have to fill time oh he's, i so felt like he was he kill, he would be he killing that? time he did yeah. like the godfather theme which was cool but there were a lot of other instrumental things right. that, with the other uh hired guitarists that they have now but they were richard fortis yeah. and uh they just so i felt like half of the show was just killing time and right. then and then axel would would get the energy finally to yeah. come out and do something, but it wasn't really uh, a whole lot. I find half is a gross overstatement. <laughs> Maybe like right, fifth Andy, of it. Andy, you have 30 seconds to rebut this. Uh... 
I felt that part of going to a concert like that is to manage expectations. This was never going to <laughs> Wait, be like part of going to a concert is like manage expectations. Well, if you're seeing That's Guns N' Roses in 2016, uh-huh. it's not going to feel like 1987 again. But Axel's not sounding that good. When neither of you guys were like alive, right? Is that... I was six. Okay, I was, all right. I'm, I'm old. I was. I wasn't going to concerts back then, but I've seen the videos. I thought it was as good as it possibly could have been, all things considered. Considering you have a guitarist and singer that probably don't speak off stage, that you don't have Izzy Stradlin there, that Axel is in his mid fifties now and everything, I still thought for okay. all of that it was great. So you're taking a holistic, somewhat apologistic uh, approach to no, the I Guns loved and it. Roses. I, there were very few moments where I was like, "This sucks," and it okay. was usually when Axel was all on right. stage. All right, I loved it. Annie, what, what was your biggest disappointment? This summer, um, I saw early two thousands nostalgia tour with Taking Back Sunday and Dashboard, Dashboard and, Confessional. Yep, and um, we don't all speak your day. emo shorthand, <laughs> Annie. That was my time. Those are huge bands when I was sure. like e- really e- coming into emo's back, man. This yeah. should be a big tour, right? So I was really excited, and it was not good. Uh, yeah. There was a really bad turnout. Apparently, I'm the only one. Me and like a couple of other people <laughs> still want to see those bands. Really? Yeah. yeah. And Taking Back Sunday was just really bad, and and they they didn't sound very good, mm-hmm. and um, which is a shame because they have a new album coming out. So I'm sure they're trying to like get their mojo back. Dashboard was all right. Saves the Day, which is one of my favorite. I love Saves the Day. And they they were underwhelming as well. So the whole thing, I mean, it was to the point where they actually let the people who were on the lawn move up Uh, into the seats because the arena was so empty. And any time that that happens, you know that that's like a bad sign. So I was disappointed. Emo's not as back as we thought. No, it's definitely not. It's a good lesson. It's too soon for the nostalgia. It's like the monkeys tried to tour in the mid-70s and nobody cared. But by the mid-80s, it was back in arenas. You you have to time it right. And if you just wait 10 years, there's not enough nostalgia that builds yet. Right. That's what the new kids on the block, they had to wait like 20 years and it was huge again. You have to time it. Right. And they jumped the gun. Yeah, they totally did. Well, let's, all right, well, let's try to end on an up note. What, what tours are we looking forward to? What shows? Uh, Patrick, do you want to start? Well, uh, Bruce Springsteen is coming uh, to uh, MetLife Stadium and he does this every couple of years, coming and does a run of a few shows at MetLife and I just love the end of August. I think he gave a whole speech last time. This is when you can st- see the flies uh, out and, and the, the, the air is a certain kind of stickiness i guess but because you're in a swamp yeah but it's an actual swamp yeah <laughs> but he but he <laughs> literal bruce swamp. made it sound very romantic <laughs> the last time he, he well, of uh, course this is the station that replaced that sorry the stadium that replaced the stadium, stadium that giant stadium that was a wrecking ball he wrote wrecking about. ball yeah. i saw yeah, i saw yeah. that show where he played wrecking ball yeah. um and i just i'm really looking forward to to going off hopefully all three all right yes Andy, i'm what about also you? looking forward to the bruce shows there and seeing no new- repeats what? <laughs> well, I've said also I have my own. And what I'm looking most forward to is seeing Neil Young and Promise of the Real, because they've been in Europe all summer playing these crazy set lists, three-hour shows, playing all these songs I didn't played in decades. And they're, they're going to come back here, and I'm really psyched about seeing that show. All right. Well, Annie, what about you? I saw Lake Street Dive at the Beacon in the winter and they're doing a fall tour and they were so, they were really good live. They were amazing. And her voice, the lead singer, Rachel Price sounds exactly the same live. Um, And when I saw them at the Beacon, it was a perfect venue size for them. And they covered 
Annie Lennox is Walking on Broken Glass, which is oh, cool. m- one of my favorite songs and of Annie all time. And Annie Lennox has got such a great voice. I mean, to pull off a song like that, yeah, you have to be able to sing. They, yeah. they just killed it. So I'm really excited for their fall tour. Cool. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, well, one of my favorites so far was uh, FKA Twigs at the Panorama Fest, which was just oh, this weekend. Yeah. She was incredible. It was just like, like performance art. She's this incredible choreographer and singer, and she's going to be coming back at some point in the next year with a new album. So uh, I'll be looking forward. I don't think she has any actual dates, but she might have a scattering of dates in the U.S. So uh, I would definitely point people to her. So I, that's uh, that's our midsummer Wait, tour report. Wait, who are you disappointed by? I don't have any, man. I mean, I went to the Panorama Fest uh, this weekend, as I mentioned, to see FKA Twigs, and um, I was disappointed in the heat. It was about <laughs> 98 degrees and really muggy, uh, and so I was disappointed in that. I was a little underwhelmed by Kurt Vile, who I'm a fan of, but other than that, I haven't had any major disappointments this summer, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know the stu- the summer still has another month in it, so we'll so see. Curve is not so not so good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, but that's for now. Uh, that's I guess that's our midsummer tour report. We'll check in maybe at the end of the summer or early next summer or at the end of the year. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you guys coming on. Sure. Thanks. All right. that was a little bit of Mystery Train by Elvis Presley featuring the awesome guitar of Scotty Moore. I'm back here with Patrick and we're going to talk about your recent conversation with Keith Richards about Scotty Moore and we're also going to listen to a little bit of that conversation. Yeah. So Scotty Moore, uh, Elvis Presley's great guitarist, just died a few weeks ago. So Patrick, do you want to talk about Scotty Moore's importance to Keith? Yeah, well, Keith Richards, uh, you know, the most immediate person that you think of when you think of Keith's influence would be uh, Chuck Berry. But right. the guy he was listening to before that was um, Scotty Moore. Um, he has a famous quote that he said, um, you know, everybody wanted to be Elvis. I wanted to be Scotty. So Scotty Moore's uh, rhythm guitar playing is, he's, he's one of the most interesting guitar players, I think, to ever pick up the instrument. He uh, joined Elvis in 1954 and was his manager during that time. I really don't think Elvis would be Elvis without uh, right. Scotty. He was booking him in, in these uh, fairs and these tiny clubs as they would uh, ride across the South playing and and, and so basically uh, Scotty helped engineer his career and also his sound and uh, his rhythm guitar playing as Keith kind of said is sort of a mix of country blues and jazz and it's very hard to kind of replicate and, and Keith just to throw in like Keith yeah. of course is like one of the great rhythm guitar yeah. players and, yeah. and this master of vibe and feel yeah. and if you listen to those those early you know those Elvis records the mystery train and, mm-hmm. and that's alright I mean that the mm-hmm. guitar playing is just like he's just such a master of vibe and yeah. such a va- evocative records. Yeah, and um, Keith describes his playing as the ancient form of weaving, which is what uh, he does with Ronnie Wood or McTaylor and uh, or Brian Jones, and it's uh, where both people are playing kind of rhythm and lead at the same time, and Scotty was doing that. It goes back to the Mesopotamians. Actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Scotty was doing that. He was sort of weaving with himself because there would always be the rhythm going on those songs like Mystery Train, but he'd always go in and out of it with these tangents he'd go on. And uh, as a rudimentary 
rudimentary guitar player for like 12 years, um, <laughs> long time rudimentary guitar player. Scotty's playing is some of the hardest to, to learn and to replicate because the rhythm is, is very complicated and you, it sounds easy, but then you look up these YouTube videos on how to do it and it's very, very hard, especially Mystery Train. Um, it sounds like a couple chords, but it's uh, very hard to get down the finger picking and the uh, chords going at the same time. So that was very intriguing to Keith. You know, Keith set called Mystery Train the, the apex of all guitar playing, basically, of, of Elvis's guitar playing. So he was impressed by not only his guitar playing, but also the sound that they found in the, you know, the Sun Studios. It was this um, little echo chamber, kind of. And, and um, it was only three guys. Most of the time, early on, there were no drums. It was just Scotty and Bill Black on bass. And um, Elvis kind of playing acoustic guitar, but mostly Scotty and Bill. And they could just make this huge sound. And uh, that is what got Keith interested in the chemistry of a, of a group. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's get into your conversation with uh, Keith Richards. This was a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Hey, Patrick. It's Keith. Hey, Keith. And you're always on time or early. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Synchronized watches. <laughs> um, what have you been up to? Um, lately, uh, it's kicking back for the summer, but uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in London with the Stones. We cut a few tracks oh, for man. a few days. It's interesting, yeah. How'd that go? It went very well, yeah. It's great fun. Awesome. Always is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cool. It must be cool to be back in the studio with those guys. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to talk about Scotty, who uh, I know was a major, major influence on you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, Scotty was probably, he's a guy, the guy, I think I could say that the, that's when I wanted to go electric. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it took me a while uh, because I was sort of playing, I was sort of working in the folk area, you know, and uh, also I couldn't afford an electric guitar at the time, so... Uh, but the, the, his style of playing uh, with that early Elvis stuff is just, uh, it's still like the, uh, it's the creme de la creme, you know, of, uh, of early rock and roll playing. And those guys, it realized, uh, there was hardly any, there were no drums on some of those tracks even. It's amazing. Yeah. You don't notice it either. No, I mean, Mystery Train, which is probably the apex yeah. uh, uh of their sound. It's just Bill Black and uh, always his acoustic in the background of Scotty. It's the most amazingly huge sound and uh, uh, always, and also Scotty Moore and the sound he got also made me start to get interested in uh, recording and uh, echoes and stuff like that uh, mm-hmm. before I even got into it. Uh, but it made me interested in the uh, and the possibilities of recording studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it was very primitive what they were doing, what they, you know, what the way they were working with. Yeah, I mean, it's so, it's so simple, you know. But, uh, I mean, with with the right guys, obviously, it can be done. I mean, Bill Black was an amazing bass player, and and I and some of not having drums gives you a freedom to the rhythm that uh, you know it unlocks certain. Uh, other rhythms that you can't get when you when you when you're with a drummer, you know. So mm-hmm. it's a, a great sound, and it's never been duplicated. Uh, and I don't think anybody would try because it's a unique, you know, a unique sound. Are, are there any uh, any Stones tracks that, or um, tracks that you know that you've done that that you were um, 
I mean, were work you, that you were ch trying to 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 channel that that Scotty Moore sound. Um, I never tried to copy it, no, yeah. uh, ever. Although uh, I mean, sometimes I would fool around with certain echoes, uh, um, maybe a parachute woman and stuff. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, Probably more in the recording technique than in the playing, but um, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it, it was such a sweet guy too, and uh, uh, at the same time, he could get his chops around the blues and uh, country music, like and, and a mixture of it, which uh, is still quite. Uh, well, it's unique. He was unique. I mean, Elvis wouldn't have been Elvis without Scotty, you know. No, uh, he said that that his two major influences were uh, Les Paul and, and Chad Atkins, and he, did, he didn't listen to a whole lot of other guys. But before, you know, yeah, when he was in the and then, you see, then you get the sense of uh, Scotty Moore was into uh, the electrics of the electric guitar, then uh, rather than just being a guitar player, mm -hmm. you know, with, the, with with people like Les Paul and Chad Atkins, who were both the innovators of, uh, you know, and uh, inventors of. Uh, the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned uh, Mystery Train and the way he. Um, I was, I was just exactly. as, as an amateur guitar player myself. I, you know, watch YouTube videos where they t try to teach you how to do that song because, because, and and there's so much going on uh, that, that you don't realize uh, the the syncopation and cutting off chords and partial chords and the right hand stuff and it's uh it's it's a and the riff kind of turns around on itself. It is. It's amazing. Um, uh, amazing. I mean, that, that that's really what we know about Scotty Moore is 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 those uh, relatively few tracks. I mean, there was quite a lot with Elvis, but uh, I mean, you don't really know of any other work. Uh, I said something just came together with those boys, you know. Um, yeah. The you know one off. Uh, Magic Elvis was incredible at that age. Uh, 19 years uh, old or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he didn't age quite as well as he could have. But uh, that, amazing at 19, 20 years old, that stuff. I mean, it was uh, mind-boggling. Yeah, um, but do you remember where you were when you when you first heard that sound? Um, well, I must uh, must have been at home on the radio then. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those. I think Heartbreak Hotel was the first one I heard, uh, which electrified me. And uh, and then soon after, I checked out the the first album, you know, Money Honey, Baby Let's Play Your House, you know, <laughs> Milk Cow Blues Boogie, which is an incredible piece of guitar playing. Love that. Lick. I don't care if the sun don't shine and uh, you're a heartbreaker. Those are two. Awesome. Yeah, those are heartbreakers. Beautiful too. Uh, yeah. I'm left. You're right. She's gone. Man, we can throw these things at each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he only got. I mean, I think thirty thousand dollars for uh, he estimated for his entire work with Elvis during, but the fifties. You know, uh, and uh, do you think that he should have been a more well-known or more uh, rewarded for his work? I think, but then I think if you're working for the colonel, good luck, <laughs> good damn luck. Yeah, I mean they got a paid scale for uh, you know everything they did was just uh, including like jailhouse rock and everything. <laughs> but um, so um, I, what was amazing to me too was that DJ Fontana and Scotty. With great pals, they were hanging around together, you know, forever. Whenever I saw Scotty, 
almost invariably DJ would be there as well, great pals, which is, you know, heartening. Yeah, so you, you were at, um, went to, to do that song, uh, Deuce and a Quarter, with the Levon. Yeah, with Levon, yeah. Um, and that's ama- an amazing track. What was, that, what was that day like for you? That was great. We went up to uh, to Woodstock to uh, to leave on, and Garth was there. Garth Hudson, oh, wow. uh, Lee, <laughs> and, um, Scotty. Uh, it was it was just a great session, man. It was uh, you know the, the good old boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was that a surreal experience to play with these guys that you would listen to as a kid? Yeah, a real pleasure to play, you know, uh, I mean, it, it always has been. I've sort of gotten used to it over the years, uh, you know, especially, I mean, uh, I started with Little Richard when I was about 19, <laughs> playing, you know, so, I mean, that was my first, shit, I'm sitting in the dressing room, you know, playing guitar to Little Richard's piano, and uh, I'm saying, this'll do, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But the, 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 those guys didn't play a whole lot, uh, so to see them in action must have been incredible. Yeah, it was. It was. He's uh, such a smooth style, Scotty, too. You know, and, and Leon, great drummer, man. Yeah, yeah the, the last thing about, about Scotty, just you were mentioning the smooth style and the the, the combination of the jazz and, and country stuff. Is there anything else you would say um, that he sort of? Um, sort of uh, the hallmarks of his style that you... Uh, that well, I mean, I think we've got to mention that you know, there's a great grounding in the blues as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think he sort of covered it uh, just about everything, you know. Uh, I mean, there's a little jazz in there, some great country licks. Uh, I mean, he was a unique character in a way. Um, uh, there'll never be another Scotty Moore, that I'm going to say. What was he like as a person? Very gentle, very funny, um, very unassuming. You know, like uh, like most of it, it's very, uh, you know, very quiet, in fact. He did like his scotch. That's he ain't called Scotty for nothing. <laughs> What's that? He ain't called Scotty for nothing. He did like his well, he did like Scotch whiskey. <laughs> oh, I bet there was a lot that day at Levon's house. Yeah, plenty. With Scotty, you you were saying uh, uh, that we, there's not that much out there from him that that we that we heard from Scotty. Do you have any? I mean, um, what, why? Um, do, I mean, that he, you know, Elvis. They did the '68 stuff together, but they didn't do a lot more. They didn't do anything after. No, that. No, at that time, I was hoping that they would pick up the threads together again, but it didn't happen, did it? No, no I was just shame. curious if you knew why they never worked together ever. Probably like, still, they probably still playing him scale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did you ever? Was there a toughest Scotty Moore lick that you tried to nail down that you never like could quite get? Um. Well, um, there's there's a rundown that he does on several tracks, which I've never ever been able to to figure out. Um, when I ask Scotty, he just gives me a sly grin. And that's it for today's episode of Rolling Stone Music Now. If you like what you heard, please leave a review on the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>